Hey there! The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app, and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the -the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from current affairs and movies to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. Welcome to this episode of the Everyday Mindfulness Show. And each week, we often will have guests on that we're going to have a conversation based on a quote or maybe a piece from a book or a movie or something that inspired. And this one, we happen to be recording in 2017. This speech was the farewell speech of President Obama. Now, I'm not obviously reading the entire speech, but this is a section, a section that had to do with compassion. And we're going to re- I'm going to read that section and we're just going to have an awesome conversation with these three incredible ca- cast members. And for those of you who are new to the show, we have a cast of characters that can be on any different week. So you never know who's going to be co-hosting with me and you're going to meet them after I read the quote. Here's a quote. Laws alone won't be enough. Hearts must change. It won't change overnight. Social attitudes oftentimes take generations to change. But if our democracy is to work in this increasingly diverse nation, then each one of us needs to try to heed the advice of a great character in American fiction, Atticus Finch, who said, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. For blacks and other minority groups, it means trying our own very real struggles for justice to the challenge that a lot of people in this country face, not only the refugee or the immigrant or the rural poor or the transgender American, but also the middle-aged white guy who from the outside may seem like he's got advantages, but has seen his world upended by economic and cultural and technological change. We have to pay attention and listen. For white Americans, it means acknowledging that the effects of slavery and Jim Crow didn't suddenly vanish in the 60s, that when minority groups voice discontent, they're not just engaging in reverse racism or practicing political correctness. When they wage peaceful protests, they're not demanding special treatment, but the equal treatment that our founders promised. For native-born Americans, it means reminding ourselves that the stereotypes about immigrants today were said almost word for word about the Irish, the Italians, and the Poles who it was said were going to destroy the fundamental character of America. And as it turned out, America wasn't weakened by the presence of these newcomers. These newcomers embraced the nation's creed, and this nation was strengthened. So regardless of the station that we occupy, we all have to try harder. We all have to start with the premise that each of our fellow citizens loves this country just as much as we do, that they value hard work and family just like we do, that their children are just as curious and hopeful and worthy of love as our own. End of quote. From there, I bring you today's cast of characters. Darren Tipton, founder of Project Humanity. Kathy Adams, host Zen Parenting. Jessica Pettit, who is I Am Good Enough. 
and a diversity expert. We bring you those three and let's rock and roll. Who wants to jump in? This is all about compassion and how it applies to our lives. What's your reactions to those quotes from President Obama? I, when you were reading, this is Darren, when you were reading them, it just, you said some very sensitive words. And I think maybe the listeners may have identified with that. And this speech was classic as far as when he quoted Atticus, consider things from another's point of view. That just stuck with me. So I, I, I'm letting that kind of just play in my mind over and over that with this idea that to stand in someone else's shoes truly gives a different viewpoint. The word that I don't think was spoken in that speech by Obama, but was definitely the key is obviously compassion, but that empathy mm -hmm. that we have for each other and that that is the most vital piece of moving forward is being willing to first recognize ourselves like the my probably the thing we talk about most on the show that I do is self-awareness having a sense of ourself first and then when we have a sense of ourself and we understand our challenges then we connect to other people and we have it creates that empathetic nature where we understand that if we've had a struggle that we can relate to another who's had a struggle or if we've had difficulty we can relate to another even if the situation is different and so that is really what we're being called to do in this speech is compassion and that and tapping into our empathetic nature. Yeah, Kathy, that's a brilliant point. I was once in a room with a bunch of military leaders and an admiral stood up. Now, for anybody listening, admiral is the highest rank in the U.S. Navy. And so the admiral, what you would think of as, as a general in the Army or the Air Force, as example. And the admiral gets up in front of this room of his leaders and says, what's the number one trait you need to be a phenomenal leader? Now, when people think of the military, they think of words like strength, courage, and people were saying these words. And he's like, those are great. Those are great. But the word is empathy. And it was so powerful to see this person in military, high-ranking leadership role, in uniform, talking to leaders about it's the key to leadership is about caring about every sailor. Do you care about every one of your sailors? Do you look them in the eye? Say, how's your day going? Uh, try to understand where they're coming from. And that word is so powerful. So thanks for bringing that into the conversation, Kathy, because compassion is about empathy. They're, they're so related to each other. And, and Jessica, in your line of work, you see these all coming, you know, to head to head. Some people use that word, but that's almost a violence of word of right conflict there. But also of, of how these issues are coming to the forefront of conversations in today's society right now, especially the political environment. I think that even outside of politics, we didn't we didn't as a culture have to get this polarized to find the need for empathy and compassion. The the crux of the farewell speech, as well as the pieces that Mike you quoted, is really the at the intersection of the conversation about the difference between equality and equity. Mm -hmm. And I think equity actually uses empathy and compassion because one would have to listen, engage in a conversation, and actually respond accordingly to an individual's needs. Equality typically means kind of everybody gets samesy-samesies. And so as you, Mike, were finishing up the quote, you paraphrased it as the importance of walking in someone else's shoes. And I often use that visual because not everybody wears the same size shoe, not everybody wears the same type of shoe, not everybody enjoys the same type of shoe. So 
when we start using empathy and compassion, what we're actually doing is meeting the person at what their needs are instead of like, I really like these shoes and I wear size 11. So I'm going to give them to everybody size 11. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what empathy and compassion does is it actually brings an individual relationship to a situation. Well, and that's what I love about what you do is that you do have that discussion because the Atticus, uh, Atticus Finch quote there that President Obama was reading that you referenced, uh, the, the paraphrase that they did of it, uh, that can be misinterpreted and often is misinterpreted. And we even seen in my line of work, you know, they'll do walk a mile in her shoes to talk about honoring survivors. And what will happen is maybe a football team or a fraternity comes out and they put on the high heel shoes to understand what it's like to walk like that. Well, that's they're not understanding what it's walking like that for really, honestly, it's a nice action to say we support attempt to show that we support this issue. But the fact is he's not being treated the way she might be treated wearing those shoes. He's experiencing this differently. He may be experiencing this almost as an entertaining experience of, Oh, this is interesting wearing these shoes for an hour versus living in those shoes and how that impacts somebody. And so a lot of times the live in someone's shoes, just cause you brought up so brilliantly is so misinterpreted or misused with well-intentioned, but I, I can't live in your shoes cause I'm not in them. I'm not you in the shoe. It's impossible. So I love that you said, how can I support be supportive of you in your shoes? Well, it's also, if we use that example, is that it's also reducing people's needs down to something. So womanhood or just sexism in general is not embodied in a stiletto. How do each of you make sure that you have an awareness of this in your life? Is there a way that you step back and go, am I being compassionate in this moment? Um, I will start by saying that my focus in my work tends to be around parenting. That's kind of our in is talking to parents. But truthfully, what we're always talking about is universal principles in that something that applies on the micro level in your own home with your partner, with your children can also be applied on a macro level. And so if we can practice these things in our parenting, we can practice these things with the world. And the one thing that I'm really, you know, focusing on right now after what Jessica said is our willingness to listen. Because there's a lot of us who come up with these ideas in our own head of this is how I'm going to be empathetic. This is how I'm going to be compassionate. But we're doing it just within our own system. We're not We're not putting our own stuff down and being willing to hear, just like Jessica said, what is it that other people need? What is their experience? And being willing to let go of what we think it should be so we can actually tap into what people are asking for. And again, like I said, I focus on that with parents with their kids because as parents, we're often very focused on, here's how I did it, do it the way I do it, do it the way the teacher says to do it, do it the way society says to do it. And they're not even listening to who the child is. What is mm-hmm. what is the child experiencing? And so again, I think in my day-to-day life, to your question, Mike, is if we can practice this listening and this compassion within our own homes, it's going to extend out into the bigger picture. That's beautiful. Darren, you were about to say. Yeah, Kathy, thank you. I think you've hit the nail on the head for at least the work we're doing. We work primarily in Africa, literally empowering women. And people ask, well, what do you do? You know, after years of doing it and trying things that work, some that didn't, we ask questions. And the questions we ask require us to listen. 
Um, it's interesting, Mike, you, you quoted the first or part of his speech. One of the points the president made down further in the speech was it's safer to retreat into our own bubbles surrounded by people who look just like us. And I think it also begs, um, besides the idea that, that listening, at least in our work, if a culture is different than you, if people are different than you, you really do have to stand and step outside of what's comfortable for you. And it's a very interesting proposition to think that listening could be the answer to so much of what we're dealing with in our culture, just to listen, ask the questions and listen. So I agree with Kathy in, in thinking equality and listening. It's opening yourself up to realize that I don't have all the answers and love goes a lot further than anything else that we can share. So it may seem even basic to answer it that way, but there's so much that love does. And if you love, you have to listen. Darren, you bring up that important part of listening. You even deal with political levels of government in trying to do the work you're doing in Africa. How do you get yourselves or help others truly listen from the other perspective? Because people think, people, everyone thinks they're listening, but they might, they might not be listening from the soul of the person they're listening to. They're listening with their own preconceived notions, with their already set belief system in place. And so they're hearing it very differently uh, than the person who maybe is, is saying the words. How do you help people overcome that so they can really be coming from a compassionate level and listening and hearing the other person truly at a soulful level? You know, you've asked a very good question, one that I recently dealt with uh, kind of makes me chuckle. You know, so many of our volunteers go to Africa. As you've said, there's all kinds of politics playing out. There's cultural things. There's tribal influence. You know, we work in some countries that have 30, 40 tribes that already have a little bit of tension and differences. And you bring a volunteer from the United States who has a certain perspective about marriage, about the way things should happen with women. And there are so many issues that go into that. And it truly is the in my mind, the best example of how do you keep your conviction, if you have a conviction, but open your mind up to know that there's something different. Fortunately, we don't deal with politics all that much, but it does affect that. So, um, you know, there's a certain mindset you have to get to. And I think maybe Jessica's point about it being, you know, thinking about equality and equity and, you know, not every pair of shoes is the same. To be able to open your mind and say, it's not what I'm comfortable with, but I'm willing to open myself up to understand and ask. That's what Kathy's point of listening. Listening is so much of what we are to be about because you're not going to see someone's perspective if you don't hear them or at least open yourself up to hearing them. Both of you talked about listening. So I have, I have kind of this thing I say that listen to each other as if we're wise and by even the them the, or children or people that we d typically don't listen to, with the the opportunity of learning something from them, that's on us, right? So we can listen to someone else as if we're going or engage with someone else as if they're going to teach us something. Um, I think that that's a really key piece. And then kind of what also is coming up in my mind based on what Darren was talking about, um, and especially now in this political climate, um, what I'm hearing a lot about is people don't understand that there is a difference between safety and comfort. Mm. And there are people who are genuinely endangered, really legitimately feel a lack of safety in a given situation. 
And those same people may actually feel uncomfortable in a different situation. Mm -hmm. And I think it is our civic responsibility to get comfortable being uncomfortable and listen to our own selves as if we are wise when we actually feel unsafe. So could you give an example there? I love the wording there that we are wise at a time when we think it's unsafe to realize that we are wise. What do you, what's an example where somebody could apply that in their lives? I typically tell this joke or joke story or whatever, where um, I've gone to so many bad diversity trainings that I was told I was never, ever, ever supposed to make a judgment and assumption, right? Because that's a horrible thing to do. So if I'm at a party and I go to the kitchen, which is usually where I go when I go to a kitchen because it's smaller conversations. So I go to the kitchen and there's a guy there with a machete. Let's just say that. All the little hairs on my neck stand up. Mm. There's a part of my well-intentioned white womanness that says like, Jessica, how dare you pass a judgment and an assumption? Like maybe they're just dressed as a pirate, right? But the reality is, is that machetes are weird things to bring to parties, at least in the United States, outside of a Halloween context. And if the nair- the hairs on the back of my neck go up, I can listen to myself. I can trust myself. I can trust my intuition that this could potentially be an unsafe situation. But I actually found myself getting to a place where I felt guilty for listening to myself if it if it was an unsafe situation, because I felt like I was being judgmental. But Mm. I am being judgmental, and it's about my safety. So how to notice the difference between safety or discomfort and judgments is to pay attention. Is it every time I see a man with a knife, I feel unsafe? Yes, that seems to be a pattern. Okay, I'm going to keep that one. Versus every time I see someone in a Halloween costume, that might not actually be unsafe it just might make me uncomfortable so then stay in the discomfort but take care of yourself and the safety and then just notice those patterns Hmm. show empathy and compassion with yourself um jessica that's so good because since we're talking about you know we're bringing this all into mindfulness you know that's the kind of the big issue that we're talking about is that's like i i feel like one of the biggest misconceptions about that that judgment thing that you're talking about is people are so our brains are built to judge and that there's nothing shameful about that the practice is the self-awareness of is that judgment valid in this place and time meaning can i instead of shame myself for feeling the judgment can i look at this with a clear eye and decide like you said jessica am i safe in this situation what else is going on here is it halloween and that's the thing that we do like you said in these diversity trainings where we say judgment's bad and you know we have to be thoughtful about not being judgmental judgment in itself is not bad it's the self-awareness around it. Are we, again, to use your word wise, you know, with what we're going to do with that judgment instead of do away with judgment altogether? And I think that's like one of those pieces of mindfulness that is misunderstood is whenever we have a feeling or a judgment, there's this, we have this sense that we shouldn't be having it versus that is what mindfulness is, being aware of what's going on in our mind and then deciding, responding rather than reacting. How do we bring that into where we're at in a political environment right now? I think so much of what we're saying, there's so much truth to it in all aspects of life. And now we're seeing it publicly in a political environment. And that 
people, there are people who feel uncomfortable and there are people who don't feel safe due to the political environment. Some people are mocking the people who don't feel safe because they're uncomfortable with the fact those people don't feel safe. It's this weird, vicious circle going on in people's struggle to be compassionate towards one another, mindful of how somebody else can think. Or they look at somebody and they go, that's evil versus how, how can I somehow relate to that human being? How can I bring love forward when I look at that human being instead of hate? I don't even know that human being, but by their actions and their words, oh, this horrible feelings come to the front of my mind. How do I bring compassion forward at that time? What's important when we're talking about politics is that what is legal and what isn't legal is not moral and immoral. There's a difference between a moral code and a legal code. And I think that part of what's uncomfortable is that we have to, I have to consciously put myself in a place and like the, the level of fear that I feel currently is matched by someone on the quote unquote other side. Mm -hmm. So someone on the quote unquote other side has been terrified for the last decade or so. And now it's my turn. And, and what I mean by that is, is that inside of this system that seems to be without person's voice or maybe possibly being overpowered by money, from my point of view, I think that other people may see it as an equally terrifying thing that's not about silencing a voice or money, but about a lack of liberty or a lack of freedom because of regulations and things like that. So that what I think the compassionate piece of mindfulness here is, is that anybody like calling someone a snowflake, for example. <laughs> so for those who don't know, what is the snowflake degradation that for those who haven't heard it, what are you referencing there? So right now what I see is people on one side of this political division calling mostly liberals snowflakes because they're delicate and they're fragile, etc. So then what I see is liberals kind of lashing back out to the other side, um, talking about how if I'm a snowflake, why are you upset at a Starbucks cup or something mm -hmm. trivial? Mm -hmm. And that's not helping. Like none of this is compassionate. And mm -hmm. I think that other people who are really endangered right now or feel endangered are people who don't support what's necessarily happening, but didn't necessarily vote the way that people are assuming they did. Um, you know, Jess, I, I love what you've said. It probably speaks to me more than anything else we've done today. And that is, what is compassion? And we think of mindfulness, and this is something we want to take with us every day. You know, how do we take this into our lives? in an environment that basically is screaming for someone to create a sense of hope and sustain it for all of us, whether you're one side or the other or like this or that. I love this idea that I think compassion begins in service and whether that's listening, mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, asking questions and then hanging around to listen, even considering what is empathy, what is compassion. And this, idea, this quote from Atticus, you know, consider things from the other's point of view, when we focus, if we're concerned about being compassionate people, I think we have to also think, what is compassion? And how do I take those small little tidbits that make up a definition for that word 
and begin to create you know, a pattern in my life so that I am a compassionate person. Does it matter that somebody voted this way or that way? Well, of course, because we have to make pay attention to that. But in reality, I think this idea of compassion has to start somewhere. And it's not going to start arguing about politics or mm-hmm. whatever. And I think both of you have said it in so many words, you know, listening and, and this idea of stepping outside yourself. I mean, I work in countries where it's quite legal to have multiple wives and have, you know, even young wives and female genital mutilation. And that is so disturbing to me. And then to have to stand with folks who practice this and, and in your mind think, I don't agree with you, but I'm going to put myself equal shoulders to you, shoulder to shoulder. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to see why you do it. What's the the background for it? But I want to focus on that idea that I can be a compassionate person, the peacemaker. And Darren, that's exactly it in my mind, too, is that what I always what I feel like needs to be said over and over again is we need to be what we are asking for. And, you know, we can use Gandhi's quote, be the change. Um, And again, micro and macro, you know, I talk with parents who will say, I want my kid to be kind. So they yell at them about being kind and they belittle them about being kind and they are not demonstrating what kindness is. So it can't be seen. If we can't see it, it can't be practiced. So again, at the macro level, us and our political climate, if we are really asking for compassion and empathy and a sense of being willing to look at things from a different perspective and to and to bring kindness to our discussion, then we have to give that. We have to be that. And I think that's what takes a tremendous amount of strength is not being constantly reactive but actually processing things and saying, how can I respond to this in a way that I hope someone will respond to me the same way? I think our world is out of hope. We've lost Mm. track of what does that even mean? What is it to be hopeful? What is it to be filled with hope? And I find it's just, you know, as we watch and some of the conversations we're having here, it's how in the world do I live in the middle of this? As someone who wants to live a mindful existence based upon, you know, equity for everyone and equality, how do I live in the middle of that, struggling in my own way to find some tidbit of hope that I can hold on to? And I think that's maybe something, you know, to consider that hope doesn't grow on trees and we go pick it and eat it as we need it. It's, it's digging deep. It's getting in the soul and asking some tough questions of yourself. Do you think at the heart of that is the question why, or does it not play a role at all? In other words, if I can understand, if I can disagree with everything you you know believe in and I believe in, but if I can understand your why, and then say, man, I don't, I mean, we hate to do it, but we'll be, like, I don't agree with their why, but I don't have to hate because of it. I, I don't have to despise because of it. I'm choosing that. I'm choosing that part. Do I at least understand their why? Does it? Where does that play a role? I think you just asked the question that underlies all of this. Why is there so much hate? Is it because we're out of hope? Is it because we haven't heard each other's why? We haven't stopped to listen as we've talked about? It's it's something that I really struggle with. Why are we seeing such deep division to a point that friends of years turn their backs on each other and families are being seriously being hurt by this? So it's it's you've asked the right question. I think that what's important is, and I am by no means a Buddhist, but um, mm-hmm. I have read a few books, says <laughs> every well-intentioned white woman ever. But um, <laughs> what's interesting to me is, is that when I was 
first starting to read some books, hope came up right as Obama was running for office the first time. And how I interpreted the definition of hope was the lack of contentedness. And I was like, what? I thought this was a good thing. And then a president that I ended up supporting, I'll I'll reveal my politics, was all about hope. And I was like, no, 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 no. I think we're supposed to be content with what's happening. And then I was like, but I'm not content with what's happening. So trying to figure out kind of what that meant opened up a window in me to be critical and paying attention to, there were a lot of things during the eight years of President Obama's um, service that I disagreed with. I fundamentally disagreed with. And it maybe it's me coming of age into my own kind of political involvement and my own sense of compassionate development. But what I have taken out of those eight years and now looking towards what has happened in the last Let's just pick the last eight days. Let's the last eight hours. Maybe. Well, for, the, for those listening, know that we're recording in, in February of 17 so that you you can put that in perspective as, as just you're, you're sharing. For me, the last uh, two weeks, three weeks or so have been a bamboozlement of things I can't believe happening. And what I think is a really important thing to remember is that one, if I feel bamboozled, there's a very good possibility that the quote unquote they also felt bamboozled at some point in time, right? Mm-hmm. So like I'm meeting them where they're feeling. So then there's no us them in that we now are familiar with this fearful feeling. And then when there is, I hear all the time, Darren, like, why is there so much hate right now? Mm-hmm. I don't know that this is, I don't know that compassion is pie. And so I think that there is equal amounts of hate as there has always been. And with that is immediately paired with the conflicting emotion or the contradictory emotion. So on the other side of hate really is compassion. Mm -hmm. And what I'm seeing and hoping, and it is very easy for me to say this in an intellectual or an emotional manner in that there are a few elements of what is happening that directly impact me. And there are several that don't have any immediate impact on me. So I'm privileged enough to intellectualize this, but I wonder if the amount of what I'm at least perceiving to be hate is being matched with the same level of compassion. And if that's the case, then this bamboozlement may not tire people out and may actually call for compassion and organizing and community building and better listening and really understanding that just because it's a problem I don't necessarily face, that does not mean it is not a problem for someone else. Mm -hmm. So perhaps this is breeding a sense of empathy. Love it. And that's where we started. This was talking about empathy. And as we wrap up, one thing, is there anything that any of you do, particularly on a daily or on a regular basis, maybe it's to review once a quarter, once a month, once a year, to ask yourself, where's the compassion in my life? Am I being compassionate? Maybe it's something you do instinctually in the moment, like why do they think that? Uh, What are techniques or strategies or triggers that you use to try to help you be more compassionate in your daily life? You know what, thanks for asking. I live, I, I use three principles. One is to pause. If you're feeling something, if you feel down or you're struggling through something, just pause. It's okay to push the pause button. We don't have to be on autopilot all the time. 
I go back to the day I first said yes to doing this kind of work. What was it that called me there? For the, the listener, it might be, you know, can you think of a time that maybe you really felt connected to service to others, to being open to others? And then once you've dug down deep and found that hope within you, serve it up. Find a place to plug in. I think Jessica said it. You know, there's probably just as much hope out there. It's just not coming to the surface as much. So pause, dig, and serve. Find a place to to make the difference that you can. And difference might be your neighbor. It might be down the street. It might be in a different country. But you got to maintain a sense of, talking about mindfulness, you've got to maintain some balance in your own life out of it. And it can be hard just as, just as struggle as anything. If you want to be something, then do it. So mm. if you're looking for hope, go give hope to someone. Um, yeah. Do something different. If you're like, how did we get here? Well, doing what you were doing. So if you're worried about how we got here, do something different. I think the thing that I do the most that pushes me out of my comfort zone is I make space for people to question me. And when I say that, it sounds like I'm in control of it. I'm not. I teach college students. And obviously, I'm a parent of three girls. I'm married. So my, I have my husband and then other people in my life who I create space to have real conversations where it's not just about me teaching, but about people asking me questions back. And why do you believe that? And where did you come up with that? You know, right after the election, I reached out to four of my good friends who have different viewpoints in many ways and said, help me understand these things because there must be something I'm missing. And we have maintained a conversation from November until now where we email at least once or twice a week with my children too. I am their parent, but they have an opinion and a voice and an ability to ask questions and there's space for that. And it's super uncomfortable. I don't love it. I don't love being questioned. I wanna be right, but I'm not always right. And then when I learn something new, I share it. So, you know, what Darren and Jessica said is definitely true. When, you know, we speak it, we go out there and we live it. We, we offer service. And we do that through being open ourselves and sharing what we've learned. Wow. The last few minutes, the three of you sharing those approaches and actual actions you do and, and the questions you ask is just powerhouse. I mean, that could just change lives right there. I'm so grateful to have all of you sharing. The one thing I always like to ask at the end here is... Is there a book or a movie or a song or some form of arts that others could go read, listen to, experience that you find really drives home compassion? The one that came into my head, and it's very you know connected again to our mindfulness talk, is uh, Michael Singer's The Untethered Soul, which I have kept next to my bed for probably five years now because I feel like it's a, a book that is good the first time, but then need a lot of rereading because it's about remembering that there is a voice in your head and that there is, as he calls the neurotic roommate, and there is this voice that is going to tell you, you do need to win and that you are right. And that your way is the only way. And that that is normal. We've all got it. But then there is something much deeper inside of us that we can always tap into and is always there and always speaking in its own way, that that's the true person that we are. And so even though we have those voices and those doubts that we need you know, to be more in touch with, it sounds cliche, but our heart and what's going on inside of us and what we feel. And if we stay connected to that, then our choices going forward will by definition be compassionate. 
Awesome. Jessica, Darren. The two that I immediately thought of, I would also say that they're the two books that I have purchased the most and given away. So I probably have four or five copies on my bookshelf just in case I need to mail them out to someone. But one is The Art of Possibility by Xander, Benjamin Xander, where is the first place I really heard about the voices in your head, which also comes up in a program I participated in called the Landmark Forum, as well as Leadership, which is a leadership or leadership curriculum that I often lead. Art of Possibility, and then the other one is When Things Fall Apart by Pima Chandran. And both of those, Art of Possibility and When Things Fall Apart, I think is what's really started my work towards good enough now with the the concept that I work with the book that I've written like where I'm headed now is trying to practice with other folks to try to try but I think the origins came from those two books and what brilliance you brought up that they're you all have them by your bed which means even if you're not looking at them there's a subconscious taking in of that content every night by just seeing the book well I have to admit I just went over by my bed and got the book I'm reading <laughs> um <laughs> No joke. To answer your question, I'm, a book that I'm reading literally right now, However Long the Night, it's a great book of just inspiration for advocate, advocating for women's empowerment. But for me, and it's just how I'm built, and I know there may be others built that are listening like this, I am moved by people who did something, accomplished something, went out in faith, stepped out of their comfort zone. And so I've read and heard so many stories of people who did to just normal people who did something that either caught on or maybe it made a difference on their town. That's Those are the kind of stories. So I just keep a file of things that I think, wow, that person wasn't the most brilliant person, but they had heart, they had compassion, and they stepped out of their comfort zone to do something in their own town or across the world, whatever. And, and that's what motivates me, volunteerism and service. Because when you step out of yourself, it, in, it is no longer about you. And that's a beautiful thing to take with mindfulness is it's not all about us. Love it, love it, love it. We are going to put all of those book recommendations on our website, everydaymindfulnessshow.com. For Darren, for Kathy, for Jessica, the three of you have been a gift today. We're going to have, uh, we always have, all of your information on our website. Same website for anybody listening, everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And of course, we're going to have another episode coming up next week. And you never know who's going to be on this cast of characters or the topic. So join us and listen in. Three quick reminders. One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, Reviews help more people find out about the show. Would you please go into iTunes and write a review? Doing so helps spread the mission of the show. Thanks. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.